tuning in to a new year of Coming Up Next Rambles. This is Coming Up Next, the podcast, and thank you for streaming and downloading or downloading the show. I don't know if you'd probably stream and download the show, but thank you for tuning in and hopefully thank you for subscribing. If you're not already subscribed to the show, you can do so at comingupnext.com.au where you can find your iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean links. All of those will help you to navigate your way to subscribing to this very podcast. And uh, what a year 2017 was. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't been keeping up to date, um, you can also find all the rambles from 2017, 2016, and half of 2015 when the show started at that website, which is again comingupnext.com.au. And 2017 was a pretty remarkable year. We had our hundredth episode, uh, which was just an amazing conversation with. Robin Butler and Wayne Hope. I got to speak to some just tremendous creative people from all over the world, uh, as well as some um, outside of the box type uh, people. You know, we had uh, Terry Verts, the astronaut, on. Uh, we had um, Sharon Salzberg on. Uh, and the show doesn't stop there. We're going to keep evolving. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep the conversation rolling on, or should I say, the ramble rolling on. Uh, with just a, an amazing slate of guests already lined up for 2018. Like my guest this week, Lou McClutchy. She's navigated a career in not only Australia, but also the United Kingdom. You may know her best for her work as Super Girly. Um, and she's got a quite remarkable story uh, about basically becoming the celebrity's celebrity in uh, in the UK. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into the usual stuff. We're going to get into our first episode of 2018, well, our first new episode of 2018 right now. Uh, yeah, as I said before, thank you for uh, for coming to my place and to, for doing this. Uh, you know, I think we first floated the idea about four or five months ago. Of, I know I was trying to work it out. I thought it was back back a while ago now. Yeah, well, eventually we make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Schedules, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a funny thing about I guess working in film and in creative industries is that there's so little kind of stability in front of you that everything is always sort of on a week-to-week or almost it feels like a day-to-day sometimes basis yeah um and I mean I suppose you as someone who has worked at quite a high level in both Australia and the UK must have uh, you know over what the last sort of 20 years must have gotten used to this idea or is it something that you just never get used to um I'm getting more used to it I guess I don't 
panic as much as I used to. I sort of think because I create my own work as well. In my down times, I just think, okay, this is, I think of it as time to ride or to create rather than time to panic. Whereas I used to think, oh, what's next, you know? <laughs> and I just think, oh, I've got to enjoy my downtime rather than think, what's next and what's coming up and, and what, what am I going to be doing? And is it going to end? Like you start to, Stop, you stop stressing a little bit about what the future holds and I think you realise that it's not going to be finished unless you want it to finish. Yeah, right. And that's a nice feeling. Did you feel like there was a natural kind of arrival point at that kind of mentality or was it just sort of an organic over the years? I think the UK did that for me because I started creating more of my own work and realising that there's a market there for your stuff if you want to push it and also just be- becoming a bit of a producer and realising that if you've got the will to push it, you can always do something in the in the meantime, um, and that that's a nice feeling to go. Okay, well, you know, if someone's not going to book you, then you can book yourself. <laughs> 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 it's a, a lot more work, mind you, but it's yeah, it's a, le- a lot less stressful. And I, I saw it too because my sister's an actress or was an actress, and she got to the point where she. Well, she doesn't create anything and she just got to the point where she didn't like the knockbacks anymore and she just went, I'm not doing it anymore. And I think it's sort of dawned on me that that's how I kept going was because I just kept doing my own stuff as well. And you've got to have another outlet. Mm. Otherwise, you can't wait for the phone to ring. So you and your sister are both actors. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you did growing up together? Mm. We were always very different. We were very different types of people. I think she sort of um, started after me. I started when I was about nine. So I've always been doing it since I was little. Um, And she came into it probably in her teens. And we both did children's theatre and sort of went into it. But she she, um, did a lot of sort of drama and theatre and I was always in comedy. So, um, and, and I think... She took everything very – She because she went down – she was on the Big M calendar when she was, you know, in her late teens and stuff and she was always – she was in Fast Forward for years as sort of like the girl in the bikini or the whatever. Right. So she always had that modelling sort of acting thing. So I think she found it a lot harder because she always had to be the – she got pigeonholed a little bit of being the sort of actress model and I think right. that's hard to get out of. Yeah. But um, Did when, she want to be a character actor? Yeah, and you just want to be taken more seriously and it's like, well, you are always an actor but when you've got to look a certain way, people don't take you seriously until you prove that you're, you know, something else. So that's always hard to change but um, that's why she went into theatre more later on. Right. Yeah. Do you remember, so the first thing that you did was um, a role on Carson's Law when you were nine. Yeah. Was that the was that your first experience acting? Do you remember the first time that you? Um, well, I'd been doing children's theatre before that. Like we, I actually Jane Hall was in my theatre group, and I was with um, her, and we used to do like theatre in the street. Like we'd go and do stuff in Swanson Street, and they'd do like you know just outdoor theatre. You know, mm-hmm. and we'd do a lot of Shakespeare and stuff. So I remember for my Carson's Law audition, the director saying to me, "Oh." you got here that you do theatre and what sort of theatre do you do? And I said, I do Shakespeare. And he was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What sort of Shakespeare? And I said, I do Portia from The Merchant of Venice. He's like, okay. And then he goes, what's that? What do you do for that? You know, and I I just did the speech from it. So he was like, holy, (laughs) what the... (laughs) 
you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think he was, like, thrown. But the teacher I had was this, you know, very strict English, you know, thespian from, you know, the, the old days. And she was really great. She used to make us do, like, we'd do old-time musical stuff and we'd go into, you know, um, old people's homes and do concerts and stuff. So we were always thrown into the deep end from when we were younger and we did lots of improv and lots of, um, like, we were doing really full-on, you know, Jane Eyre and stuff like that when we were little. So it was quite funny. We were never doing kids' stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, wow. And how do you feel as though that kind of set you up uh, for, you know, that your your teens and were you you still obviously working and and, um, working at your craft through primary and high school? Yeah, well, once I left um, Children's Theatre, I went to the National and sort of did their afternoon classes all through high school. Um, so I sort of always did do drama school and I d- still was doing TV jobs. And then I joined a duo um, with one of the guys from school and we did morning TV. So we'd do the Early Bird Show and Ernie and Denise and Bert Newton, <laughs> I would sing on that every weekend. So yeah, wow. we were always sort of on TV just doing stuff. Um, yeah, so I was sort of, sort of always just doing stuff, you know. And I went to, I think I went to Johnny Young Talent School as well for a little while, you know. But, yeah, I was always, always doing yeah. some sort of training, some sort of. And always my mum, because she was sort of like making sure that I got variety of lessons and stuff because she knew that I wanted to do it and made sure that, you know, I went to different places so I wasn't always stuck with the one thing, which was good. Mm. And I guess that gave you this kind of very multifaceted approach that you yeah. have had now in your adult career. Yeah, yeah. What What did your parents do or what do your parents do? Um, they, own, they owned a lighting business, oh, right. <laughs> like household lighting. Yeah, right. Both of them aren't in the industry at all but very supportive like neither of them are stage parents would hate to be on stage although my dad's a bit of a sort of he can talk to anyone and you know we call him commander mcbragg because he's one of those people (laughs) that if he sits down and you know get in a conversation with him you know he'll say the wrong thing to the wrong person and you're just like dad then they don't need to know yeah um but mum would die if you made her stand up in front of people and talk so yeah they were sort of always supportive and just paid for the lessons and dropped us off, but they were never the ones that would be sitting, you know, mouthing the words in the audience. Yeah, right. <laughs> Did you see many of those? Oh, God, yeah, heaps, yeah. Yeah, right. And it was always sort of like a quite interesting because I forced mum into getting me lessons rather than the other way around. She just – she came to something – I was in something at primary school, I think, and I'd said I had a part in the school play and she was like, oh, yeah, and then got there and I was like the main role and she's like, oh, my God, I didn't even know you wanted to sing, you know. <laughs> so then it was like, oh, okay, okay, I get it now. You really yeah, right. want to do it. So, yeah, it was sort of like just obvious after that. And how did you find the balance between, you know, school, academic sort of life and... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that balance. Um, I never... I was always sort of like... I was okay at school I wasn't like an a- academic person but all my friends were really straight A students I always hung out with the the really smart kids so I sort of I guess forced myself to do what I had to do but I always did drama and music and learned instruments I learned the cello the drums the clarinet the, you know I went through all of those plus singing 
And in high school, I went to Ringwood Secondary, which was a really musical school. So we did productions and went on production camp and band tour and all that. So I always sort of loved that school for that reason, but um, always did stuff outside of school as well. Um, but I passed all right. I just I left school at the end of year 11 purely because I was doing gigs every night. By then I was in a band and we were doing gigs most nights. I was probably doing gigs uh, pretty much when I left, did eight gigs a week, you know, in oh, a wow. band. And mum and dad were like, well, pretty much if that's what you're going to do, you don't have to year 12 now I think it would be different I think it would be like you have to finish school you know and my daughter's like 13 and she said to me I'm gonna leave school at the end of year 10 I went no you're not you know (laughs) why she goes well you did I'm like oh my god yeah but I said well you need to do singing lessons like by the time I was 13 I was doing all this stuff you're not doing any of that like it's that's why they let me leave is because I was already like well, you a professional, yeah. you know, I was earning money as, you know, an actor and a singer. You're not, you can't just leave because you want to be a singer, but you're not doing any lessons, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, um, yeah, because I was so into it that I was allowed, but otherwise I don't think I would have been. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up out in Ringwood in that yeah. sort of area? Yeah. Yeah, right. So when was the decision made to leave Ringwood and go and live in the United Kingdom? Um, It was actually my sister. She was dating a guy in the UK and she said, I'm going to go over. And so I sort of went, oh, okay, well, I think I'll come. And then the girl that I was in a band with here said, yeah, I'll come. And there was actually two other guys that were were dancing in our group. Yeah, we'll come. Hmm. Anyway, they, they decided not to come. Um, so the girl that was with me decided to come as well. And so all three of us went and we all got a house together. And the guy that I'd been singing with here was already over there. So he's like, come and live with me. Three of my flatmates are moving out. Which was, we should have known something was wrong then. <laughs> it was too, too easy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we moved in with him. And the girl that um, I went over with, Jay, um, and I started doing duo work together. And that's... Um, we started singing in a cafe in London and... Whereabouts? In um, Old Compton Street. Oh, cool. Cafe called Balance. And one night I was bored and no one was really listening, so I changed the words to songs just to see if they'd notice. <laughs> and got more attention, of course, because it was funny and whatever. And that's basically how Supergirly was born. Yeah, and, wow. And, um, yeah, so we started doing a lot more of that. And then someone came in and said... I'm having a party um, next weekend for Madonna. Do you want to come and sing for that? And I sort of went, yeah, sure, thinking it'll be like a drag queen. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we went along and there's Madonna on the couch. And it was like 20 people in the I lounge room. Yeah. Just bizarre. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> so that's How long had you been in the UK for at that point? About three months. Right. <laughs> and so um, from Ringwood to Madonna's <laughs> lounge room in yeah. three months. And um, it was so bizarre because I was sitting in the... He goes, oh, go in the bedroom because I don't want her to know you're here and you're the surprise. And I'm like, yeah, surprise. She won't know who we are, you know. And I'm sitting on the bed and there's like this fur coat and he goes, oh, I just need Madonna's cigarettes. So I'm like, lift my cheek and (laughs) grab a squash (laughs) packet of cigarettes and hand it up. He goes, look, um, if she doesn't like it, I'm just warning you, the, the act we had last time, if she didn't like it, she turned off the PA. So good luck, you know. I was like, oh, God. And then I thought, oh, fuck it. Like, 
if she doesn't like it, bad luck. Like, I don't really care. Like, I'm not that intimidated by people. So we went out there and we sang. I said to him beforehand, well, you know I do parody stuff. You know I take the piss out of people. He goes, that's fine. Just don't do Madonna because she won't like it. So, okay, fine. So we did Spice Girls, Hanson and <laughs> something else. Can't even remember. <laughs> and she got up and she started singing along and, like, you know, yelling out stuff and everyone else sort of looked at her and once they realised she was laughing they were allowed to laugh and then she clapped and they clapped and it was very bizarre they what weren't a strange experience yeah and then um afterwards she sort of called me over and said do you always sing other people's songs or do you do your own and I said well you know got to make some money and this is the way to do it and she goes yeah I get that and then I was talking to this guy and um she goes, Andrew, come over here and stand by me. And I thought, oh, shit, that's her boyfriend. It was the, like, English guy she was going out with before Guy Ritchie or just after. And I'm like, go on, Andrew, off you go. Don't come and stand by me. And then they had a massive fight and he left. And um, she was really annoyed. And then there was two other guys there and it was Dolce and Gabbana and just a few other people. It was so bizarre. It was yeah, like right. being in some weird like movie you know it's like so weird and then after that um that cafe just became like a regular sort of place for celebrities to come and sit and watch us we had um Gautier used to come in regularly and we had um David Furnish used to come in so David booked us to do um oh no it was first of all it was Steve First who is a comedian who does Lenny Beige and and he came in and said, I'm having a Lenny Beige night or whatever. Do you want to come and do some songs? So we did that and then got booked to do Siobhan um, Faye's 40th from Bananarama. Oh, right. And that's when um, we sort of met quite a few people there, met Jennifer Saunders and Don French and a few others. And then um, Boy George came in one night. They had an auction and um, it was um, raising money for different things. And one of the prizes was to be on the cover of Boys magazine. So George decided he was going to bid for us to be on the cover and he won it. And then Boys said, no, because they're not gay, they can't be on the cover. (laughs) So he had this (laughs) row with them about it and said, you know, they're a great act, they're campers all hell, they've got to be on the cover and I've paid for it, so they've got to be. And this went on for about a year. He He fought with them and carried on and whatever and they just refused. And he's like, well, I've bought it they're going to be on it anyway so we never got on it and then about a year later once we'd hit the big time in the UK we were asked to be on the cover of boys anyway so we made it part of the article we're like we were meant to be on this a year ago you owe George some money you know yeah it was quite funny but um we ended up doing heaps of celebrity parties after that we did Queen um Roger Taylor's party he came to his manager came to a pub we were doing at the White Swan in you know whoop whoop and Mm. But they used to, it was just like, like here you'd get, you know, Molly Meldrum might be in Richmond, you know, but there you just get random just sort of like everyone. everyone. Yeah. And it's David. Kind of the centre of the, the artistic world in a way. That's it. Yeah. But once you sort of got one, they seemed to all just book us. David booked us to do the tiara ball at his house with Elton's tiara ball. So we did that. And then Elton booked us to do um, the opening of the Lion King party. And I did. Elton's best friend's 60th. I had to write a song for that. And then 
Pet Shop Boys 40th. So we did like right. like quite a few after that. And then Elton took us on tour yeah, wow. in Australia. So, so you must have developed a reasonably good rapport or strong rapport with him. Yeah, yeah. He became quite a, a good friend and he's very supportive, really nice guy. He was sort of like always like anything we can do to help sort of thing. You yeah, know? wow. So he's always been, both of them actually, him and David, are very supportive. So where do you think that you got this... Uh, propensity towards comedy and taking the piss because it sounds like this all happened not by accident but like almost like you were just kind of pushing the envelope and seeing what you could get away with on this night when you weren't sure if anyone was actually listening I've always sort of done that I did um I did a show I don't know if you remember there was a show in Australia years ago called have a go with Jono and Dano and I went on that and changed the words to a song and sang something and won it and that's sort of when I was about, I don't know, 15 or something. Yeah, so right. I've already already sort of done that years ago. And I used to love Weird Al Yankovic yeah. and, you know, <laughs> things like that. So I'd already sort of had that in me. So that was always something I'd already just done. So this grew up. So it wasn't like, something that it that. was like, oh, my God, I just suddenly right. thought of changing the words. I think it was just like the idea of changing it and making it into a full show was like, coming at some stage you know um and comedy had always been something I'd been known for anyway I'd always been the funny one so it was it was bound to happen (laughs) at some stage and I think we just hit the market at the right time because the Spice Girls had just hit it and All Saints and all that so we were the we were like the anti-girl group we were still two girls that dressed in girly stuff but we were just taking the piss but anyone we took the piss out of we took the piss out of steps and spice girls and all saints and all that but we were on the bill with them half the time we do the mardi gras and they'd be on after us and then we'd be doing their songs and everyone would be like what the hell just happened you know yeah. but they'd be laughing and going oh, i wish we could sing your lyrics instead of ours so anyone that didn't like what we did we just took their songs out of the set because we weren't there to sort of make people angry we were there to make people laugh so we ended up going on tour with Bjorn again as well um and at first they were sort of like oh you can't do parodies because you're not allowed to do it because of the rights and blah 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 and then we were like well we we are because we've been doing it for a long time and whatever else so that sort of it was funny because I'd auditioned for Bjorn again before I left Australia and I'd gone for Frida and um they were sort of like, oh, you know, it's, if we'd had the, the role of Agneta open, it would have been perfect, but your voice is too high for Frida. And I was like, oh, damn it. And then the, I ended up supporting them. I was like, this is so bizarre. Like, you know, I'm still on that tour that I would have been on, but with my own act. Yeah. So it's just the way the world works. There seems to have been a few instances like that that yeah. you mentioned that it's like if you're not going to get in through the front door or whatever, you're going to smash down the door and <laughs> yeah, take, I do that take a over lot. the house and <laughs> yeah. do it your I way. I like to think that, yeah. Yeah. No, it's very cool. It's, yeah. It's, 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 there's something um, very encouraging, I think, for creative people to mm. hear stuff like that because yeah. it can feel so uh, powerless or like it's out of your control. Yeah. And I think the thing is too that that's why even when I meet the celebrities and stuff in the UK, like I was sitting at the table thinking, oh, my God, I really want to meet Jennifer Saunders. Like she was one of my heroes that I'd grown up with 
And she had her back to me and she was sitting at the table and her husband, Adrian, who was in the young ones, who I was also a fan of, came and tapped me on the shoulder and goes, oh, look, I'm, excuse me, but my wife really wants to meet you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, like this is so cool, you wow. know. And mum had said she because my mum was over and she was with me and she goes, I could hear them talking going, just go and say hello, you know. And I, she goes, I didn't know she was talking about you because I'd just done the, the act. Yeah. And then after um, I'd met her again at the BBC party because we ended up having a sitcom on the BBC and Jennifer introduced me to Stephen Fry and Ben Elton and said, oh, this is the new, this is the new us, this is the new Dawn and, and Jennifer that are coming up. They're going to take over the BBC. And I was like, oh, that's really cool, you know. <laughs> so it's funny, you know, years later you're like, they were my heroes and they're just like, you know, so cool to meet them. Mm. But you just, you've got to sort of, put people into perspective, I think, and after a while you just go, they are just normal people, but you just get really... There's not many people that I get intimidated by, but she was one of the ones that I go... (laughs) (laughs) So when you were creating Supergirly, Mm. I mean, this is a show that you originally took to the Edinburgh Festival and Mm. and then it played on the West End as well. Mm. What was the process like of actually creating the full first show um basically it wasn't as much of a process as you'd think I just basically picked songs that I knew people would know like I had to have songs that people the general public would know I couldn't pick songs that I just really liked so um it had to be something that you knew that all demographics would know as well so I picked things that were really really popular and a big wide range. We did things from Frank Sinatra to Robbie Williams to Steps to whoever. And if something hit, um, I would try and get them out the day after or, you know, the day before if I could. So there were times when, you know, Marty McCutcheon had a Christmas number one that hit an East End and she was in East Enders at the time. And I remember we did a gig for Christmas and she was there and she'd released it that day and we sang it that night and she was like oh my god how did you do that (laughs) but it used to just be like you just sit there spitballing for a few hours lyrics and just quickly right um so with the Edinburgh shows I tried to do that a little bit too where I put in new ones if something came up and we just um yeah we just tried to keep it really current and and kept trying to rewrite the shows while we're on tour and stuff as well so that because that's the one thing I think with music is that you've got to keep it up to date. And, um, yeah, that was that was all it was at that stage was just there wasn't really any storyline or anything. Now it's changed a lot. I try and keep a little storyline through it and and it's more theatrical and there's more of a, you know, backstory and all of that. But I wasn't even doing any of that then. It was just more of me and Jay, you know, bantering a bit and, chatting to the audience and then talking about the pop stars. I had a, I had a, still had my um, ultimate fantasy of being, you know, engaged to Robbie Williams, but that's... <laughs> that well, was, I think he's touring Australia next year. Yeah, it's hilarious because he was the one celebrity that I never met that I still had that... We still have the running joke of Supergirly being with Robbie and it was always like... It's always been in there, still is... 
but he's the one person I've never, <laughs> never actually met. And I've nearly met him, like, you know, so many times. Yeah. It's just really funny. Yeah. But it's just continued. <laughs> because it came, it got to the stage where when we first started, we used to have these running jokes about different celebrities and this one annoys us and that one we didn't like and, and whatever. But we'd start to meet them and then it became like, it's a bit awkward now because we're talking about them and we've met them, but and people would go, "No, you're talking about Olivia Newton-John, and she's your mum, and blah blah blah." And it's like, "Yeah, we've met her now. It's a bit weird." <laughs> but you know, after a while, it, it becomes a bit of a blur, and people go, "Is she really your mum?" It's like, "No, she's not." You know, <laughs> but you could have met her now. She could be your mum. It's like, "Oh God, don't worry about it." Yeah. But um, yeah. Once it, once you get to the point where you get into the celebrity market yourself, it's a bit people start to believe more than they did when they knew it was a joke. Yeah, right. It's sort of weird. So like, no, she's still not my mum. Like, <laughs> she'd be my mum suddenly. Did, did you notice that people's perceptions of you, aside from thinking Olivia Newton-John was your mum, <laughs> did, you, did you notice that people's perceptions of you started to shift when you, did, when you did get into that space? Oh, yeah. Well, there'd be weird articles written about you. I remember the Woman's Day Here wrote something saying I was living in Notting Hill and I was earning $250,000 a month or something. And oh. I was like, yeah, that'd be nice. That <laughs> Cut that one out and put it on the fridge. Yeah. But yeah, you know, just bizarre stuff that you just think, oh, it's nice to be gossiped about, but it's not true. Yeah. But nothing, nothing really changed too much. I think, I think they just think that you're in a, I mean, obviously the market of what you can quote in your gigs and all that changes, but nothing too much changes really because mm. you're not living a, a different life yourself. And you're, I mean, we weren't really getting, we'd get recognised in the street a little bit, but it wasn't like getting mobbed or anything. And in the UK they're different. They don't do that because there's so many celebrities around anyway. They're not phased. So I remember going out, a Tanya Doko from Bachelor Girl came over and we we're friends and she was, we were out one night and this is here or in the UK? That was in the UK yeah. and we were out one night and she said, we came out of a club and this guy came up to me and goes, oh, you're super girly and blah, blah, blah. She goes, wasn't that Suggs from Madness? So I went, yeah. She goes, that's hilarious that you get recognised <laughs> by a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, that's probably the ones that know who I am because I do the parties. It's not like yeah. the regular people. You became the celebrity celebrity. <laughs> That's hilarious. So when you uh, when did you first find out that you were going to get a sitcom on BBC out of Supergirly? That was actually after the first year we did Edinburgh, which was um, pretty bizarre. I mean, that whole first year we did Edinburgh was amazing for us because that just changed everything, really. The BBC comedy people were there and they just loved it and basically offered us a sitcom Wow! when they saw it. Um, well, I had a bit of a dodgy manager at the time and he he said to me, dodgy in the way that he was amazing and he got us all this stuff, like he was great, but he was also a coke addict and <laughs> after a lot of money. So he said to me, look, they, they want to offer you your own sitcom um, but they don't want you to write it. Um, they'd said at first they did and then they, then they changed their mind and said they don't. And I was like, oh, that sounds a bit weird. So he said... Um, because at that stage I'd written a lot of pilots and stuff for them and, and everything. So he said, they want you to co-write it with another couple of guys, but while you're on tour you can write bits and pieces and, and send them. So I said, okay. I thought anything just to still be involved, you know. 
Um, so we started writing that while we were touring the UK and, um, well, I started writing it, sorry. Um, and then the other guys were amazing anyway, like the really great writers and they took it places I wouldn't have taken it. So that was great. But, um, I found out later when I actually fired this guy and got rid of him, the head of comedy said to me, oh, we were so disappointed when you said you couldn't write the sitcom because we really wanted you to write it. And I said, I never Mm. said that. And he said, oh. Raz said you because you were going on tour you didn't have time and I thought so he wanted me to tour because it was more money for him for me to be on tour than to be home writing it and I thought yeah right but it was nice to know that they still did want me to write it but you just thought okay that's what happened yeah wow so anyway but um yeah it was fun it was it was um it was a great experience doing that but that was the first like full you know, mainstream thing we'd had. And Jay hadn't done any acting before, the other girl, so she was, like, shitting herself. <laughs> but it was great. It was like, you know, we were really lucky because we could just, to you know, gear it towards what we could do and what she could do and we got to do a song in each episode and it was it was really, it was a great fun experience. We had picked our own team, so we picked our own hair and makeup guy and made sure it looked how we wanted it and had pretty much creative control over it. So, yeah, it was really cool. But um, It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was amazing to do that. And then we went on and did um, Live and Kicking, which was a Saturday morning show where I wrote all the sketches for whoever was coming on and we hosted Take the Mic on ITV, which was like a, it was um, like a, I guess, a mini um, sort of competition for stand-up comics. And we did ITV and M- MTV hosting on those. I mean, so VH1 and MTV hosting on those. So we were doing quite a lot of television. It's incredible. Are you hosting in character or are you hosting? Yeah, everything was in character. Yeah. So that was the thing. I think by the time I came home, like I'd been there nearly eight years. And by the time I came home, I was so relieved to not have to be that character. <laughs> like I'd, it had been like I got home and I could be something else. So, Is that part of the reason that you came back? I came back, well, I, I was married and pregnant and I came back and thought, I'm going to have some time off. And then when I started acting again here, I went, oh, good, I can act and be someone else. And no one knew who Supergirly was, which was good and bad. I had to sort of redo it all again. But, um, yeah, it's been really good to be able to act and be mm. different characters. And, yeah, because I don't think I could have done that in the UK. It was getting to the point where I was like, but can you just be super girly? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get out of it. Yeah. You met your husband in the UK? Met him in um, Scotland in the, at the Edinburgh Festival the first year. Yeah, wow. Yep. How did you guys get together? Um, we had been – well, actually, he and I were friends. That We met there the first night. He walked past, said hello, and – we sort of hit it off and then we hung out the whole festival. He was doing a show at the festival and then um, we kept in touch after he went back to Scotland and then three months later we were engaged. Wow. Yep. And then we got married uh, two years later and then we were together for eight years. Yeah, right. And then we got divorced. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. But we've got a daughter and yeah, yeah. she's 13 now. So It was... was a- 
a challenge to be working in the same industry or did you find that that... He wasn't in the same industry. He did that show and then he wasn't doing... It was just like a... He was just trying that out and then he was a computer artist. So Mm. he actually wasn't even a comedian or... His show was really good actually, but yeah, he never went into doing it after that. Mm. He just was dabbling. Yeah. And so your daughter wants to take after you. I don't know whether she will or not. She's a funny one. She plays the drums and she's really good at that and she's a good singer and she likes the idea of it but she's nowhere near as confident as I was at her age and she's just done the school production. She was in the ensemble and she sort of liked it but she's not as like... She's not doing The Merchant of Venice at the age of seven. No, and she's not like she's not jumping at going to everything that I was but she loves filming stuff and she loves editing movies and stuff so she could easily... She'll do something in it for sure. Mm. Just not sure yet. Right. Yeah. So did you take a break when you when she was first born from being in the world of... Only about five months because then I got neighbours yep. and did that. And that was, <laughs> was full on because I got that job and then I got the job of Toadie's girlfriend who was also a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? And was like... I've just had a cesarean, you know, five months ago and I'm lifting this person up above my head and throwing them on the mat. I'm like, I seriously shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Um, but that was really good because it was like that, you know, back into it. And they they knew that I was doing Supergirl in the UK and when they hired me they sort of said, well, I went in there with a totally different attitude than what I would have, you know, before I'd gone to the UK because I was like, I've got nothing to lose anymore. I audition in a different way now because I just think if you want me, you want me. If you don't, you don't, which is what you should do, but you don't mm. when you... You put you too know. much pressure on yourself when yeah. you're younger. And so I went in there and I thought, well, it's a funny role, but it's not funny enough. And so I just changed bits. <laughs> 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 and they were like, this is really funny. Would you mind, you know, if you want to change bits, you can. So they let me have a play a little yeah, bit well. with it, So which is... Ace, and then they got me to sing in the waterhole, and they sort of gave me a little bit of a leeway with it. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. That's cool. Did you <laughs> did you get to learn how to be a professional wrestler? They did. They gave me like wow. yeah, they gave me tips and stuff, and they had someone come in and show me bits and pieces. It was pretty full on, more probably as much as I could do in my current state. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it was pretty full on. Yeah. What was the difference, I suppose, like in being on set on Neighbours as opposed to, say, the stuff you, that you had been doing in the UK? It was quite funny because I didn't, I don't sort of go in and go, I've been doing blah, blah, blah. So I was sitting in the makeup room and the girl doing my makeup had said, what have you been up to? And I sort of said, oh, I've been in the UK for a little while. And she's, oh, right, have you been busy there? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And then she asked me a couple of questions. So I let a little bit out. And then she must have gone away and Googled me. <laughs> she came back and went, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, a little bit, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so the guy, um, Ryan Maloney, who was playing Toadie, when I first had a few um, scenes or rehearsals with him, he was talking to me like I'd done nothing. And he's going, you know, when you do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like giving me tips of how yeah. to act and whatever <laughs> else. And I'm like, thanks, Ryan. Anyway, and then he came up to me after... Um, he'd had his makeup done and goes, why didn't you tell me you'd done blah, 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 blah and this and that and the other and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I said, well, I'm not going to come in and go, hi, I'm Lulu, here's my resume, you know. Mm. Well, you should with what you've done. And I thought, no, I shouldn't. Like, why should I have to? You yeah. should treat everyone that comes on here like a professional actor. They've got the job, you know. 
And he was all indignant because I hadn't told him and he was pissed off because he'd been treating me like a moron, you know. I thought, no, that's your lesson, not mine, (laughs) you know. Here's the mirror. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So it was quite funny. It was like, "Mm, okay. But, um, yeah, it was was an interesting time. But, no, it was was good because it was sort of like just nice to be back on set and and working back in Australia, I guess. But it's funny how when you come back and no one – actually knows what you've been doing or where you've been how they do just assume you've done nothing and you're not known because they don't know who you are so they just it's like hi here's the this is the the green room this is where we relax in between yeah I'm like oh is it okay oh, thanks cool. yeah. yeah that's your mark that's what you stand on <laughs> yeah, so that the camera can catch yeah, you that's a camera yeah. yeah don't look in it yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so from working on Neighbours, you know, you start to build up a bit of momentum mm-hmm. in Australia um, and it seemed like you haven't really stopped working no, since No, I've then. been pretty lucky. I think because I sort of decided once I was back into it that I was just going to – I think it's just meeting people and keeping those connections. Like I, I was lucky because I did Neighbours and then I did – I didn't – I obviously did Bogan Pride and met Rebel and – that group so once I'd sort of done that show I um that gave me a bit of a push because Rebel's such a go-getter and you know she's she must have been quite young at the time go-gotten um yeah no she's amazing she well that was probably must have been about nine years ago now yeah so she was that was her first sort of like big producing it herself and writing it and yeah so that was her her um big dip into the bigger pool but yeah she was yeah you could tell she was that was her major this is my show real yeah right yeah so um yeah and she was she was at the same sort of like point where she was like oh you know I, I don't know whether I should go overseas I don't know whether I should and I'm like get out of here <laughs> get on a plane so yeah yeah why why was why do you think you have that attitude because I think you just there isn't enough here work wise for everyone to do, and I think um, for what like even funding wise and all that there's just not enough to go around. So I think things are changing now with women as well. So it's obviously you know moving, but. There it's is very more. Slow, moves very slowly. Very yeah. slowly, but there is more scope for things to happen overseas for women. Absolutely, which is sad, but it's true. Well, I I think it's in general. Um, I, I'm sure that. I mean, yeah, my experiences of being a man, so I can't comment <laughs> yeah. on the experience of being a woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even yeah, my experience of going and living mm. over overseas, even for a short period of time, has been that there's just. There's a lot more opportunity. There's a lot more going on. Mm. Um, and there are people and institutions and bodies that are willing to take more risks. That's it too. Like I find that because a lot of the stuff I write is is pushing an envelope, which I think Rebels is as well, which is why I sort of was like, you just need to go. Um, and I think here people just are like, I really like it. It's really funny, but I'm not willing to do it. So... Unless you're willing to do it yourself, you've got to you've got to try and find someone who's willing to take the risk, mm. which is you know a bit annoying. But maybe they'll 
start to a bit more now. Mm. <laughs> what was it like when you worked on Aquamarine? Because that was uh, an American production that was being shot up in that was Queensland. awesome. Yeah, it was great fun because they're just so I don't know anything. All of those big productions you treated like so well. You know, they do. It is like another world. Like they do just treat everyone the opposite scale it's like everything's you know bigger and bigger and bigger but I was there for nine I think nine weeks over the whole time and I probably was only in you know five or six scenes or something (laughs) (laughs) most of the time just at the beach but no it was a good job it was a great job and I'm still getting paid for it you know all these years later I'm still getting royalties which is you know it's the gift that keeps on giving Mm. but the crew and the cast and everyone everyone's lovely the director was beautiful like I think because they've got the money and the time that we don't have on a lot of productions here, they just take more time to make sure everything's how they want it and everyone's calmer and no one's stressing, no one's yelling, (laughs) you know. It was just a a nice experience, Mm. you know. And they're working with kids. They've got to be a little bit more, you know, calmer and nicer. Yeah. Yeah. At what point did you start or were you always just making your own projects on the side sort of concurrently to the work on Neighbours and Bogan Pride and films? Yeah, I've always, I mean, pretty much since going to the UK, well, even before that I was writing stuff. That's pretty much what I've always done. But more proactively from the UK, I was always writing um, different projects. And then when I met Perry, I met Perry Cummings in when I was doing Neighbours actually and we've been writing films together so we've had probably we've got about maybe half a dozen or something now we're producing and producing our first feature this year oh wow awesome (laughs) so um yeah that's the dream though isn't it it is the dream yeah it's the dream and the nightmare together yeah Oh, it's a yin and yang. It's it is it is it's going to be amazing, but it's um yeah, it's taking us a, a while to get something, but we really want it. Well, we've got another one that we really want to do, but it's going to be the overseas one because that's the bigger budget, and right. you know, but this one's our our thriller comedy thriller. Yeah, right. Which is which? Which part of the process are you at currently? Um, we've got a director, um, producer attached from the UK who's coming over to do that which is awesome and he's a BAFTA award-winning actor who's going to be in the lead so amazing yes so he's amazing and um so what's the process to date been then in terms of I mean I guess getting him getting the script together creating the package funding we did it all around a different way I think because we had Fat Busters which is the comedy musical which is the big budget one and I worked with um, Peter Snee on, from Prince Moo on um, Avenue Q and Calendar Girls, which is the two plays I've just done, musical and play. And he's best friends with this guy, Stuart Brennan, who's the director-producer from the UK. And he said, oh, you should talk to Stu. He's a really lovely guy, really helpful, and he might be able to point you in the right direction for a producer or whatever. So I sent him Fat Busters and went, would you be interested or do you know anyone that's interested? And he said, it's amazing. It's too big for me. I don't do musicals. I'm a more thriller, horror sort of guy. So I went back to Perry and went, we need a thriller. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we had this com- we had this comedy thriller that we'd not finished, but had nearly sort of finished. And um, the lead two guys in the lead were um, our sort of problem. We sort of weren't happy with them, and so we made them twins and said. We want him to play the lead. He's a BAFTA award winner. Let's yeah. give him two roles him rather than <laughs> as well as directing. Yeah, yeah. So we went back and went genius. Yes. So we went back and went. Here you go. Do you want to play <laughs> twins and direct it? So he went. Ah, uh, yes. So um, yeah. So he sort of jumped at that, which is lovely. And then he said, "Well, I'm happy to come and do it in Australia because at that stage we were like, it can be filmed anywhere. We can come to the UK." He's like, no, I want to come to Australia. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we, we sort of spoke to him about um, his timeline and he can come in September, which is good. Um, and now he's going to – he sort of said – this was the funny part because I was like, oh, great, you're going to produce it. That's awesome. And he's like, yeah, so if you guys get together some of the funding, I'll get some of the funding together and then we'll – and I'm like, hey, yeah, you want me to produce it? And he's like, yeah, you, yeah. And I'm like – Okay, I didn't really want to do that, but okay. Um, and it's like you can. I know it's your first one, but you can do it, and I'll help. You know, help guide you of whatever you don't know, and you can ring me. And I thought, well, yeah, why not? You know, I should really produce theatre. I just haven't done film. Um, so I quickly rang um, Carla McConnell, who I've worked with on a lot of projects, who's a great production manager, and said, get on board and do the budget. Yeah. <laughs> and she and then I thought, do you want to produce as well? Because she's pretty onto it. And she said, I'll think about it. And then looked at the script and went, hell yeah, which is nice. And then Perry turned around and said, I don't want to produce this. I'm too scared. It's too big. <laughs> so she was like, okay, I'll, I'll assistant produce and then associate produce. And then I went, fine. So that's good as long as she's going to be, you know, still involved. Mm. So Perry and I are in it with Stu. And then we've got to get the main mother part, which is going to be our international star. So we've got to get someone for that eventually. And now we're just going to raise funds and talk to Film Vic and all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah. But what a cool position and situation to find yourself in. Mm. It is. And I'm not so scared now because I think I'm under good hands. Yeah, like, he's what, a, what a mentor. Yeah, he's great. And he's done lots of good things. His film he's got coming out next year has got Martin Scorsese as the EP. So... Not what too he's doing. shabby. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know, as you kind of expand your circles and, and your networks, as you would know, I guess from mm. the super girly um, world, your circles and networks just continue to expand. So by proxy, you can you start to be associated with the people that he's associated with. Well, that's right. And I sort of realised, like, as I started to sort of like we were looking for EPs here, and I thought. I know a lot of people like I've been in the industry since I was nine like I'm sort of like oh yeah I, I do know the people that executive produce Lion maybe I should just send it to them you know like yeah I do know those people like it just became like a little bit easier than I thought to contact people anyway like you can just ask they can only say no absolutely you know? and that's what it's all about so and it is about people going oh hi yeah fine send me the script and yeah. that's all you need, really, is just people to actually t- answer your email, you know. Mm. So we'll do that for a bit and then if that doesn't help, Stuart can email them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just email Marty. <laughs> yeah. Give him the script. Yeah, that's right. Give him another EP credit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll see how we go. 
Oh, that's very cool. Mm. And a couple of years ago, you reboot. Well, I didn't say rebooted, but you put Supergirly back onto the stage in Australia. Yeah, yeah, which was fun. Actually, it was really good. I actually I approached because I'd just done Fat Pig, which was a play with Lab Kelpie, and I met Lyle Brooks doing that, and I got along really well with him. And I thought you look like Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> And I just said to him, would you want to do a show with me? Because at that stage I'd been doing it on my own for a long time and I thought it'd be nice to have a guy in it. And he, I thought if I'm going to do it again, I'd like to do a more theatrical show, especially if I'm going to do it in a theatre setting. And I would like another person's input so that I don't stay in the same vein, but I still want to stick to my, you know, same feel. So he said, yep. So he co-directed it with me and we came up with um, a new feel. Gave it, I just gave it a bit of a storyline and we talked it through and picked out the songs and, yeah, it was really cool. It was good fun. Yeah. So um, And that went really well. We ended up doing two seasons of that and then we toured Queensland as well and did a couple of gigs in Victoria. So, yeah, it was good. You feel good to... Put the costume back on, so to speak. Yeah, well, the 33 costumes. Yeah. And the <laughs> it was a lot of quick changes. Right. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good, um, it was a good feel. Yeah, and I, I mean, I still do gigs now. I still do, you know, corporate shows and stuff like that. And it does, it's always, it always is just like riding a bike. It's like so easy to do that show and people always get it and they like it and people are like, why are you doing it? When are you doing it again? <laughs> I got an email actually two days ago from a guy who said, you sang at my 40th 20 years ago. Can you come back and do my 60th? And I was like, oh, when is it? <laughs> He's in the UK. Right. I was like, no, it's in January. I won't get there. <laughs> That's very cool though. That is cool, yeah. Yeah. How important do you think it is, I guess, you know, say for your daughter, for example, as someone who wants to become a singer or work in the business of show, Mm. how important is it, we sort of touched on at the start, but to have all of these kind of strings in your bow to, you know, because you yourself are a producer, director, writer, actor, singer, Mm. and that sort of put you in good stead to work consistently for 20 25 or however many years yeah um how how important do you think it is for people who are just sort of starting out to have a lot of skills i think it's really important i think it's hard for people that don't to be as consistent and keep doing as much if you don't like because not everyone can i mean it's not easy to produce, definitely. And the thing is, too, to know your limitations. Like, you can't go, I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that. Because if you can't do them all well, don't do them all either. Like, then you'll end up doing some things shit and some things well and then you mm. won't get as much work either. So you've got to know which ones you, your strengths are. But I also think if you can't do that, then do something else similar do you know what I mean? I do hair and makeup. I do um, hair for weddings, but it still feels creative and it still feels like something you can do on and off. So maybe, you know, if you're good at drawing, do design, or if you, you know, can make sewing, do costumes, or something in the industry is good just to keep your toe in the water and just, you know, keep in there. But I think 
you do need something else. I mean, people always go, you need another job, you know, but you do. (laughs) And it's not necessarily that you need to go and work in a shop. It's just trying to think outside the box and thinking, how can I stay within the industry? Or even just as, you know, associate yourself with someone that you admire and go, can I follow you around the theatre and be your PA, you know, Mm. help you, you know, take notes or whatever, just so you're learning all the time is the main thing. Because I think learning on the job's the way is the best way. Paying for courses is is great, but if you can do it at the theatre... It's a much cheaper way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to learn much more. Yeah, and you may eventually get paid Yeah, for exactly. Well, I, actually, that's the thing. One of the girls, we got a call from a girl who had just finished film school and she said, oh, I'm just I'm a student. I just want to do, like, any sort of job. I'm a lackey or make tea or make coffee, whatever. I'm for super girly. And I said, yeah, great, come on in, you know, help out, whatever. She came in and I said, found out she sewed and I was like, oh. So I'm like, okay, that'd be great. I need all these zips put in my corsets, right? So she she did all that. So on the first um, Super Girly show, she ended up doing all the costumes and she ended up um, doing cues, helping with the cues and stuff. So at the end of that, I said, well, we can't not pay her. She's done heaps. So we, we ended up giving her some money and, and then – so for the second show, we ended up hiring her because she'd been so amazing and then she came on tour with us because she's yeah. just great. So she did stage management, makeup. Yeah, she did stage management costumes and cues in the end because yeah, wow. she was just a gun. Like, she was amazing. You don't always get someone as good as her, but she's, you know, she just proved her worth in about five seconds because she was so willing to just help out and, you know, you get in there and show you what you can do. Yeah, it doesn't really People matter how you get in the door. No. It's just about getting And that in. happened with um, Prince Mo too. We had a young girl from VCA who was just a student who came in to just, I think she was like a work experience or something, and then she ended up coming on tour with us to Perth mm. as um, assistant stage manager. She was really good. Yeah. And are you encouraging these people to sort of to, to get out there and be doing their own work as well as working on your sort of productions? Yeah, I think you just got to – and you got to put yourself out there and be willing to go, look, I'll do the first lot for nothing, you know, just to meet people and get in there. And it's like the actual gig at Balance that I did in the UK. I went in one night and said, we'll do a gig for free. And then if you like it, you know, because you can't always get a gig somewhere especially in another country, yeah. without them hearing you or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and we ended up residencies there for two years and we, they, we ended up in their Miami branch as well and, you know, met everyone I met. So, yeah. you know, it's whatever you're meant to do, isn't it? You just never know where a thread's going to lead. No. And as some someone said, I can't think who the director was that said to me, you just, you know, sometimes you can do a show and there's 20 people in the audience, but there could be one in the audience that it is the one that's, you know, watching it that, yeah get the next gig from yeah that tells you that he's organizing madonna's birthday yeah <laughs> exactly do you want to come and perform yeah that's it yeah well thank you so much lulu that's for, all right uh, for, for doing this podcast um my final question uh, which i ask everyone is probably going to be what's very... your favorite swear word yeah. <laughs> well what is your favorite swear word that's not the question but you can tell me it's cunt cunt, cunt is a good word it is a good word it is a good word um and if i only say it if i'm very angry yeah Yes. Who makes you? Who, who brings <laughs> out that anger in you? There's been a few over the time. Right. <laughs> um, the final question is: What makes you silly? What makes me silly? Yeah, and oh, saying loads of things. Could be. Oh, that does. Yeah. Yep. No, loads of things. I'm actually easily made silly. Yeah, 
work in general. Yeah. Yeah. What happens when you get silly? Laugh a lot. Yeah. yeah. I'm easily. I mean, I'm one of. I'm actually one of those people that laughs in inappropriate situations. <laughs> I yeah, I'll laugh when you're not meant to. So yeah, someone tells me bad news or yeah, it's very wrong town. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an example? No, it's like when you're at somewhere that you're not meant to be laughing someone's you know probably a funeral or Mm. yeah and you do have you don't you you have a soft laugh i mean i'm sure people no i've got a really loud one (laughs) yeah it gets louder and louder but i have to really yeah yeah gotta rein it in yeah it's worse when i'm at a show that's meant to be serious that's not actually yeah right yeah very good and you just start laughing yeah yeah very bad for a you know fellow performer yeah, but if they haven't put in the work. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, yeah. Thank you so much. For <laughs> That's all right.